0: 100th Episode of the Not Your Mama's Gamer podcast, a podcast where we talk about games and gaming from a feminist perspective. My name is Samantha Blackman, and I'm an associate professor here at Purdue University in wonderful West Lafayette, Indiana, where basically, yeah, I do games. Um, and we are joined tonight uh, by three of our regular cast members as well as a special guest. Because this is episode 100, we need to have someone special, right? Um, <laughs> And so what we'll do is we'll just jump right into our usual fun stuff of introductions, what you're playing, what you're drinking, um, and then have a conversation with our guest. And our special guest tonight is
1: Neil <coughs> Drumroll.
2: Drum
0: roll. Drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is Ms. Brianna
2: Wu. Woo. Let's crack a Thanks for having me on, everybody. Thanks so for coming. I, I have to tell you, I'm a little nervous because, like, when there's a 100th episode of a comic book. Like some big storyline happens, and usually somebody dies. So I hope <laughs> that's not me tonight. Like not, probably know, not. This, this, this could just Well, die we like. took
0: care of that
3: last night. Say, everybody yeah, yeah, everybody, everybody die, die so. died. everybody died. So good. This
2: good.
1: is this is the Denimon,
2: right? But, right. This is the healing <laughs> episode. where We regroup after after such traumatic events.
1: Yes. Yeah, right. You know, you know
0: exactly. that Sarah's not here. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
1: We killed her. <laughs>
0: So, um, Brianna, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself? What would you like for us to know that we don't already know about you?
2: Oh, man. Okay. Uh, well, I'm not like creepy stalkers at all. Go right. On. I know. <laughs> uh, I make video games. uh run a studio. Uh, I'm probably one of the most visible feminists in the game development industry today, uh, of which, you know, there are like five, six, ten of us that are, you know, really out there talking about this stuff a lot. So, um yeah, that's me. I run a studio of mostly women at Giant Space Cat. Um, you know, we kind of specialize in, well, what what we're really trying to do is meet a marketplace need. You know, when I go to GDC um, or any other professional event, you know, it's dudes, 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 dudes. And, you know, if you go to a video game journalism site, it's dudes, dudes, dudes. So, yeah, you know, we're looking at the numbers and the numbers say, hey, 49 percent of gamers are women in 2015. And it feels like there's a stronger and stronger disconnect between people that are making games and people that are actually consuming the games. So, yeah, you know, my brilliant idea was, hey, why don't you make a studio of women to make games at a professional level? So yeah, that's yeah. what we do. That's what we do.
1: Awesome.
2: Yeah. And that is awesome work to do. Well, it's so obvious and it's such a dumb, obvious bet. Like if you're a gambler, (laughs) like this would be the horse that like, you know, you would bet on. And it's so obvious. But we face so much structural BS and operating in this industry. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. So, you know, but that's that's me. I'm a a freight train. I'm just going to keep pushing through it. So. Well, you are surrounded by freight trains. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the train station right now. <laughs> I'm going to pour Boltron before, uh, before the podcast is over. I would like that. So everyone here is a feminist, right?
1: Absolutely.
3: Oh, yeah. Great, great, great. So I have app- to – dude's trying to add for our site and We're like, no.
2: No. <laughs> I'd have to no, you're always so weird about being a feminist. I don't know when you guys like developed your consciousness for it, but I didn't My feminist consciousness didn't really explode until you know maybe i was i was twenty six or twenty seven and there's this rich Kind of horrifying experience as you go back through old media that you've consumed, and then you like then evaluate it from a feminist point of view. So yes. I I was on my run today, and I was watching Top Gun, and like twenty four year old Brianna was like, "Yeah, that is an awesome movie. Yeah, I'm watching it today, and it's just like like there's no one that's not a, a white like." straight dude that shows up until literally i was counting it until 18 minutes into the movie and like there's all this misogynistic stuff and it's just like this it's like the the it's like a poster child for patriarchy in ways like i was not able to understand so have you guys experienced that
0: oh yeah oh yeah 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 well you know it's it's interesting for for me because well i'm old um i'm the oldest of the group uh, um Barely. and but, but i am the daughter of a strongly black feminist single mom and uh, who kind of raised me in the late 60s early 70s mm-hmm. so kind of my feminist identity started to form at a very young age. Right. <laughs> um, and and I have a six year old um who these guys will tell you is hilarious because she's like feminist me on steroids, <laughs> like checking people in the yeah. street. Like, I'm not I, pretty. Don't call me pretty. We're not ladies. Hey, you better check yourself. <laughs> yeah. and like,
2: I, like I can't help that. it. I love like
0: that. Wow. <laughs> she, awesome. oh, that's
3: so she is right pretty in.
0: awesome.
2: <laughs> On, cue. On
3: cue, there she yes. is. I know. Um, okay, I think. Go ahead. Like yours, Brianna. Um, I when I was younger, this is my feminist confession. Um, I was super conservative, Republican, I'm Randy Randian, blah blah blah. I was into politics and yeah. I was a debater. And then I guess around the time I was twenty three or twenty four, when I actually got out into the world, um. I began to see how the cards were stacked against me yep. as a woman um, who had grown up in a very poor family, didn't have a lot of privilege anyway. Uh, outside of that, I mean, you know, I get good old white privilege, but outside of that, mm, not a lot going on. And as I began to enter the workforce and look for ways that I could express myself as I began and gaming more seriously, as I began freelance writing, really started to become apparent to me that there were some things wrong. With our society, our culture, mm-hmm. uh, and I started to do more research and more reading, and became more and more aware of feminist ideals and what I could do. And then when I had children, um, it was over because I'm, I'm I put my children through gender camp and camp, <laughs> and we do lessons, and it's shit is serious around here. So, but yeah, now I go back and I watch a lot of old things or I read old books and and I just, I can't, I can't tolerate it anymore.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm an angry feminist. Well, (laughs) I think, I mean, you'd have to be, you'd have to not have empathy to not be very angry about stuff going on. I mean, Baltimore this week, how can you not be, like, that has its roots in patriarchy, you know? Like, I mean, how can you not see all of this and not... Just just be so frustrated with it, like, as a woman in the tech industry, every day, I feel this, and it's it's such a struggle for me personally like let me give you an example um today, like I am kind of well known in a in a small circle of people in the Mac community, right? um like I'm a well known person in the Apple celebrity scene and this person in that small group of people uh, his name is ben thompson writes this uh piece critiquing twitter and talking about how they need to like really refocus on new users and acquiring new users and he completely leaves out of this piece um any talk about um you know twitter's inability to handle harassment or how that might like affect women or black people or gay people or pretty much everyone else that's not, you know, white, yeah. straight, cisgendered and male, like everyone that analyzes tech. And, you know, I'm like, and I know this is a major piece that's going to get picked up a lot. Yeah, I'm trying to critique him about it and like, hey, don't you see how your kind of narrow perspective here really affects what you're calling for here? And it's just like the instant you bring that up, it's like shut down. Don't want to talk about it. You know, I have white men that I'm, I respect, but they're crawling out the woodwork to like, you know, play devil's advocate with me. And it's, it's like such a, it's frustrating because I find myself in a position to kind of argue this stuff where, do you know what I mean? Like I have my foot in the door and I want to like, make it better but i feel so much social pressure to just keep my mouth shut does does do you guys know where i'm coming from yeah you never get to relax yeah yeah it's exhausting Mm-hmm. So
1: I think for
4: me, I'm I'm twenty six now. Um mm-hmm. I, I'm Ashley by the way. Hi. Um,
2: hey, what's up, Ashley?
4: <laughs> so we met at PACSE, so that was yeah. um so I actually I live outside of Boston and I work in the book business actually and I also am a writer for this blog. Um and I found that when I went to grad school, um I went to grad school at Simmons in um, Boston, and I studied children's literature. And I have a lot of, you know, a lot of my my work experience um, is in the book business. And when I learned about all these tropes and all these things, like, it really opened my eyes in grad school because there's a lot of shit going on in children's literature. And I see it also reflected in video games as well because I often see the two um, have a lot of, like, comparable components to them and um, I wasn't able to watch The Little Mermaid the same way ever I remember distinctly remember watching The Little Mermaid again with my niece after Mm -hmm. graduating grad school and I felt like I kind of got um, unwired or something like it was like it was a very weird like switch I was like oh my god like this I don't know I don't know if Ariel is really the best figure. And I'm like, I, it was like amazing that I just questioned everything that I pretty much devoured when I was young. And, um, I would have to say probably, I would say now I'm starting to really come into my identity and what I believe and what I think about things now. So.
2: No, I think that's, I think that's really well said. Yeah. There's, there are so many messages out there, I believe, especially for young women and girls that are, they, they have this like facade of empowerment do you know what i mean like it's fake empowerment Mm -hmm. like the the woman will either be really strong and kick butt but ultimately she's just a you know a tool for the guy to feel good about himself i mean there's so much stuff out there i think the language that we have for empowerment is it's a real red herring i think ariel would be a really good example of that yeah I mean, find a man to get your happiness. Like even (laughs) even in the '90s, that would that would like make someone go, "Hey guys, maybe this isn't the best." Well, that's one of the in particular. i Disney- go
0: ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say that's that's one of the because here was the rule in my house about Disney movies is and I explained it to my daughter early on. We don't do Disney. We don't do Barbie. And here's the reason why. Mm-hmm. um So yes, like I, I know I'm explaining this to like a two year old. So by the time she's three, and we go <laughs> to the store, and people are like, "Well, here's Barbies over here," and she's like, "We don't do Barbie." Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> um but I explained it to her early on that you know as I thought she was mature enough to talk about issues that I thought existed in specific films we would watch those films right and just this year we started to watch some of the films and the first one we watched because they were doing a fairy tale ball at, at school god help us mm-hmm. so it was it was actually yeah was um sleeping beauty and so she said she asked if she could watch it, and I said, Okay, Sam, prepare yourself, you're going to do this thing. Oh. We watched it, and about 10 minutes in, she said, Mama, can you pause it? And I paused it, and she goes, So, what is it with the women in these movies that they're always running through the woods in the dark, falling down, and waiting for a prince to save them? <laughs> and I was like, Okay, you're old enough to watch some of
3: these. Right. Now.
1: <laughs> Yeah, and that's no, what i was yeah. going to say. The,
3: the children's media is notoriously terrible for that because my son goes to school with, with Sam's daughter, their friend, um, about the same age. And every time he starts a new show or we watch a new movie, we sit down afterward and we have discussions about these things, about how the women tend to be very vapid. And even if they have, like, something, a skill or an entrepreneurial bent, it's always wrapped up in fashion and pink and pretty stuff and everything is very gendered. And you know we're here in Indiana, and they just passed that that you know terrible, awful law and I was so enraged and as part of one of these discussions, I sat my son down and I explained to him about all of the implications of this. We talked about what it meant to be transgender. We talked about people who were being denied service or who were being promised that they would be not be denied
0: Ooh, oh. sexuality oh. Oh. yeah, you're breaking up honey I mean.
3: He's seven, if you understand, but, but he – oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> all right. Is, is that better? Literally. Well, you can just skip me and come back. <laughs> uh, all I wanted to say was that we have these conversations, and they're hard, but because the children's media is so obvious in the way they wield these tropes like a mallet, uh, it actually makes it a little bit easier. <laughs> because I can say, look, here's this really terrible example of everything that's wrong with the world
2: in yeah, your show, Yeah. No, it's amazing how I many people believe this stuff is solved and it's it's just not even close. I i into brain to it every day in this this field. And you know, it's like it's like people want to believe that just having this intellectual understanding that women should be equal and should have opportunities in the field of technology, they want to believe that's enough. And that's the easy part, you know, like, you know, believing in things like I love App Camp for girls, but that's the easy part. You know, the hard part is this privilege and unconscious bias that's so baked in that most people can't even see it you know, calling them out on it, working with them, asking for inclusion, like all this stuff makes people very uncomfortable and it's not fun. Like I don't enjoy doing that, but you know, that's, that's kind of where we are. And I think it's, it really saddens me sometimes to see children's media and to realize we're going to have another generation of girls that are going to be growing up with some of these really terrible ideas again.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. You know? So Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's a great way to start. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I feel uplifting
2: everybody. I
0: know, it's great. So here's a here's a here's a fun question. Yes.
2: So Rihanna, what are you playing lately? <laughs> <laughs> so you guys you know, um, I'm an expert in Unreal. Uh so I'm very able to make awesome 3D games. But um I have to tell you, I have um I don't know have you guys been feeling this too, like kind of being a little burnt out on games overall. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um and I found I am just I have so many games on my shelf and I just flat out don't want to sit down and and learn my way how to play like another 3D epic, right? Um, I certainly could, but um, I I decided I wanted to just get low tech for a while. So um, I actually bought a Super Nintendo this last week and I got some awesome classic games for it. And what I'm going to do is I'm not going to buy another game. Until I beat Final Fantasy VI. So that is... is such a good game. I know. It is a good game. It's awesome. But again, it's like I'm going back and I'm reading it and playing it again through a feminist point of view. It's like Edgar comes out and like, how did they show that he's a good guy? Well, he instantly starts hitting on Tara and telling her how beautiful she is. And you're like, no,
3: <laughs>
2: you know, so I don't know. Um, but that is what I'm playing this week. What about what about everyone else?
0: Well, Alicia, or did we lose her?
3: No, I'm here. I just changed headphones. So maybe this will be better. Awesome. Um you know, it's interesting. I was feeling some of that burnout. Uh, I go back and forth. Usually when I have a lot of things to grade, <laughs> and I want to be playing games. And when I don't have a lot of things to grade, and I have lots of freedom to play games, then I do other things, um, mostly I'm doing what I'm not supposed to be doing all the time. But lately, I've been so immersed in the re-release of State of Decay, which I'm a huge zombie nerd, uh, that... The idea of being dissatisfied with a game hasn't even occurred to me in the last two weeks. Of course, I have put in over sixty hours in those last Whoa. two weeks in this one game. So,
2: <laughs> so I yeah. I'm to not the person. To ask. I don't know anything about State of Decay. What what is this? Oh, what platform? Oh my god! On? Yeah. Let me try. To, well, let me try to give you the short version because otherwise sure. I'll talk for three hours.
3: So originally it was released for uh, PC and Xbox 360. They revamped it. Uh, they made it – they increased the graphics. They added some things. Uh, it's now out for Xbox One and and PC, cool. and it's this persistent sandbox zombie game with three different gameplay modes. There's a story mode, uh, a second story mode, where which focuses on different characters, and then there's an endless mode where you go through and resources start to dwindle and you have to survive, right? Cool. And that's my favorite thing. It's so – amazing. And the story's never very heavy, but it's, it's a really diverse cast of characters. Um, there is a character who was a former sex worker. There's a lot of different races represented. There are, they get into class issues. They get into sexuality issues, but it never takes over the story. It's just part of the world that you're trying to navigate and survive. And it's really cool and it's really well-designed and the combat's fun and I'm just—I I was obsessed with it when it first came out. And I'm obsessed with it again now. It's such an amazing game that I, I just can't put it
2: down. <laughs> you sold me. You sold me. Thanks for costing me sixty dollars or however
3: much. No, not it's very only much at all. It's super cheap, and it's only like a four gig game. Yeah. It's super. It's really deep. Um. But yeah, even the re-release version, I think, brand new is only twenty-nine dollars.
0: Oh, yeah. cool. Hmm. I'm in. I'm in. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is I was feeling some of that burnout um, because I've been playing games for a really, really, really long time. Um, And what I've been the way I've been getting my game fixed lately is I've been watching because Alicia's been streaming State of Decay like every night. So I've been spending a lot of time kind of watching her play State of Decay and kind of having conversations with her while she's streaming and afterwards about the game um, and getting kind of my narrative, my interactive narrative fixed that way. Cool. Um, because I have been a little burned out lately because I played a lot of like big games uh, beforehand and I bought Bloodborne a couple of weeks ago, but I really haven't been able to get into it because I am feeling a little burned out. So yeah, I can, I can kind of feel you on the burnout. Yeah, side. yeah. It's yeah. just so much
3: sameness in, in game releases. It's like, you start out in kind of the same place, you do the same things early on, you skill up in the same way, you go through and fight enemies in the same ways. The stories are all the same. It just gets
2: boring. Yeah. I think, I think, our, in our, I think our entire industry has a huge innovation problem right now. And I have, I've never felt less excited about a generation than I have about the PS4 and the Xbox One. Yeah. And I, I see no new ideas coming out i see them going after the same kind of market i see games that are technically very well done titanfall was a very well made game but i just see an industry that has a lack of ideas so we slap prettier texture maps on it and i think it's why it's so critical that we we bring up i think i think if we don't bring other people into the video game clubhouse And, you know, I'm talking women, you know, people of color, you know, people like, I mean, there isn't really a really strong professional, um, you know, game scene for, you know, gay people, for instance. And I just think there's so many other voices that could bring new ideas to the table. Again, like take take feminism out of it or equality out of it. How about just I'm freaking bored with the same kind of game that I've been playing for 30 (laughs) years at this point. And I just... I, I think we're really at an inflection point where it's either change or die. So
4: So for me, I whenever I feel burnt out, which is quite a bit because I have an anxiety disorder, mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually go the other direction and I play a lot of games. But huh. I find myself... Um, more into games on Kickstarter, a lot of indie games, um, because those are what I'm really attracted to because they make me feel something. Yeah. Um, they're very innovative. Um, I find that I don't really play a lot of big name games. I mean, you know, I enjoy the Zelda franchise and everything, but, and I, but I couldn't really get into destiny. Um, I watch like my boyfriend has bloodborne and I didn't really, I just, I don't know. I was just bored. I just wasn't really into it. And, um, I find that um, lately I've been playing Gravity Ghost. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, I so I played this game that I saw at PAX East, and it's called Albino Lullaby. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you happen to see that booth there, but it's a really interesting horror game. That um, It's an indie game, and they do not rely on jump scares or gore, Ooh. which is really interesting. I was like... Oh, that's kind of unique. I'm like, you're taking out like the two really big staples of what makes a horror game, you know, horror. <laughs> I'm like, how the hell is this going to work? Let's try it out. But I really liked it. I played the demo and like I wrote a review on it and I, I find myself really into those games of people doing something different and um, that's just what I need. I don't know. It's what I need. I, I want a game that makes me think and question and want to interrogate and I want to see different voices and different representations and You know, it's just, yeah, I don't know. I guess I kind of fall in line with you guys about, um, you know, kind of getting tired of like kind of the mainstream big stuff, kind of like the same pattern. Um, Well, I think indie games,
2: like as someone that works in this field, um, the problem is video games have gotten to be so expensive to make that you see a lot of risk aversion. I mean, rightly so, if you're investing several hundred million dollars into a game. Um, I think normal people that don't work in this field just have no idea how expensive this stuff is to make. And I think that's why you see all of the innovation that's happening right now. You know, it's happening in in the indie space because these are people that just – you know, we're not bound by, you know, accountants and, you know, people saying it's gotta be this way. Can I tell you guys a really quick story about oh, developing yeah. our game, yeah, Revolution sixty? Sure. So, okay, I'm not gonna get into names, but we had a we had a partnership that we ended up um breaking uh before we ended up shipping our game with a publisher. And what we found so frustrating about this is um, when we sat down to playtest our game, and it's hard to emphasize just how desperately important playtesting is, you know, we looked at the market and we radically, crazily, like ridiculously, made the decision to make our playtesting co- cohort half men and half women. Right? Like that's, yeah. that's ridiculous. Who would ever think to do that? <laughs> and, and what we did is we watched the way that women played our game by doing what other companies don't we we went through and we took metrics on how they operate and um we found out that women responded to combat that was more timing based whereas men would get in rev 60 and they play our combat engine and it would be like they'd be pushing buttons and wanting to attack as quickly as possible and what we found is we kind of split the difference we tried to we weren't going to like make it all for dudes or make it all for women. Like we kind of split the difference and tried to find a middle ground where everyone would could, ha- could have fun. And what we found was ridiculous, ridiculous amounts of pressure from these people we had a business relationship with to speed up the combat, make it this, make it this. That was so much closer to everything else out there. And we had to really hold our ground and, you know, say like, we're not going to do that. And I think that's something that Indy has a freedom to do to like, listen to a different kind of consumer and to go in a different direction because the pressure you feel professionally is just, it's ridiculous, and I can tell you, pretty much any other studio. If you look at their playtesting process, um, women are generally not really even invited to have a see at the table.
3: You know, that's I have something really interesting to add to that. Yeah, because I got early access to State of Decay through the mm-hmm. re-release through a review code, I was able to get a kind of sense of who was testing. And who else had early access by looking at the leaderboards, mm-hmm. um, where I'm still firmly ensconced, by the way.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, i
1: real good at that game. Um,
3: but I was looking at, at the scores and the different things, and you can tell who is using exploits and who is, like, um, kind of gaming the system and who's playing it straight, as it were. And it really made me wonder about the way we, approach games and what we get out of them in that same sense. And I think that, that as you're, you're very rightly saying, the way they're play tested, the way we do look at beta communities, the way we look at at all of that um, doesn't really give the full picture of what we can do and maybe what we should be doing in gaming, because that that comes back to an issue of access. If women aren't a part of that community, you don't get a full picture
2: of the potential for your title. You know, it's It's totally true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're listening to the same people and the game gets tailored for that kind of person. And then, I mean, we've seen 30 years of this particular product.
1: Call of Duty
2: number 30. Sure. (laughs) Sure.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. There is,
4: um, Brianna, there was something you said about, um, about the fear of taking risk um yeah i I see a lot of parallels between the gaming industry and the publishing industry and taking risks because even with like um in publishing a lot of times publishers are really hesitant to take on new authors because of that same you know uh like are they gonna sell like you know should we go to the same kind of pattern of story that's selling because like on the it it, like publishing is interesting in that it's a business and also like a creative pursuit. And I see that in gaming too, where, you know, um, it costs a lot of money to make something, but at the same time you want to make something innovative or, you know, um, maybe you're afraid of taking that risk and you want to just kind of play it safe. But I just, it was just interesting. I just see a lot of, um, of parallels there.
2: Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Mm. Great.
0: So make me um, glad to be in academia.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: there aren't many days, but I'm kidding. Kidding. <laughs> um, so, uh, really quickly, before we jump into like official questions, we have to ask the most important question of the evening. Ladies, what are you drinking?
4: <laughs> Brianna, it's you. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I will
2: be a buzzkill here. I don't drink. Uh, I have about uh, maybe two or three glasses of wine a year. So,. Um, you know it's uh if you i don't know if any of you read the um the story about me uh in ink magazine a few a few weeks ago but um you know i actually went through rehab uh when i was um god how old was i i think i was 24 maybe 24 to 20 somewhere in there it was actually when um i personally like had this realization that not everyone um, kind of goes through life, like, you know, rich and white, like to have all those barriers broken down. And um, Uh it was, it was a very powerful emotional experience for me. I will never forget like trying to sign myself into the hospital and not being able to hold the pencil to sign my name because my hands were shaking so bad from my um, addiction to Ambien. So, um, you know, the thing is for me that that addiction was more um it was more emotional than it was like having an innate like uh, like if you read The Shining, like Jack Torrance talks about his like constant desire for, yeah. oh, you know, alcohol. Yeah. I I yeah. I don't have that. Um, but it is something like I I've come to realize it's just not something as healthy for me personally. So I don't do it very that's often. Really, str- that's that's
3: strong though that you can Absolutely. set your own limits and actually control it. So many people struggle with that and no, have to no, either stop altogether or or you know they fail. So good for well, you.
2: Well, it's like um, you know I. I feel like I dealt with the emotional issues that were like causing that. And the truth is Mm -hmm. I was looking for an escape, right? Like that's why a lot of people have addictive issues. And um, yeah, yeah, for me, there's, um, I don't know. It's like, um, I feel, I I crave sharpness and I feel being connected to my life, if that makes sense. So I don't know. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: Well, I don't drink
4: very much either so i am having black cherry seltzer water
3: <laughs> delicious
4: <laughs> so i i'm i don't really drink very often so i'm that's having a, water so i'm also delicious. having
1: water yes <laughs> <laughs> yay <laughs> <laughs> i like the the solidarity with the sparkling water um but i am drinking i'm drinking uh, not summer shandy tonight but grapefruit shandy which is delicious. I don't know what that is. is. That sounds awesome. It's fruit beer, and Sam doesn't like fruit I don't like fruit beer. <laughs> <laughs> I do, though. Whatever. <laughs> I'm really drinking the be- very
3: last of my Honkers Ale, um, which is an English-style bitter.
1: And I'm really sad that this six-pack is gone.
3: <laughs> oh, I've been parceling them
1: out. They probably make more, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: we're really lucky to, to. I mean, when I go back to Arkansas, it, it's like a, a fine beer wasteland. Um, sorry, Arkansas. Uh, and I don't, I don't know. I'm not. A, I'm like a like a beer connoisseur. Like dudes get so into that. Like oh beer, but you <laughs> do like a nice, robust like beer that like reminds you this is a this is a beer and there's hops in it. Um,
1: Yuck! Yeah,
3: um... One of these. I know you, you guys aren't with me on that, but.
2: Yeah, I have to, I, I've i never really been a fan of beer. Um, when I used to work for, in politics, though, like, God, this will make me so frustrated. but I will never forget being over at a, a very high-level congressional function, fundraiser, like, thrown by Exxon. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, they're there, they're having, like, some of the nicest wine you've ever seen in your life. And, like, I I don't know, like, that was, like, it was ironic that, like, working for the Republicans – don't judge me. I don't vote that way anymore. But, um, like, I really got to know wine, and, you know, I enjoy wine quite a bit. Uh, I just don't drink it much nowadays, so yeah. I don't know. I like a good wine. I do you, too? I like yeah. vodka tonic. I like um, – I definitely like uh, Bacardi Gold – and diet coke that is an awesome cheap drink i love that i
1: feel like that's right up sam's alley
2: bacardi
0: yeah
1: not 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 bacardi and diet coke i
0: vodka is my thing i love vodka i love a good i love good vodka You, I, stopped, I stopped. I haven't had any artificial sweeteners yeah, this last Sam summer. diet. All right, all right. Yep. I, I, Not anymore. I, I'm really? ABD,
1: so I'm off campus. So I don't know what's happening anymore. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, well, tonight I'm drinking a. I picked up a um a mango peach juice from our kind of local farmers market.
1: Oh,
0: it's, mm. it's really good, and I, and I put vodka in it because <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: So I'm drinking, yes, yeah, that's what I'm drinking, a mango mango peach vodka drink of some sort. that
1: sounds coming good.
0: over. I'll be there in, the, in
2: 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> she I'll doesn't live that lane. far. <laughs> I wish there were a way to, like, enjoy alcohol without the alcohol. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I, <laughs> yes. I would love to, like, sit down and drink, like, a vodka tonic right now. I just don't want that stupid alcohol in it. Yeah. Like, that's the one problem with it so.
3: so the hardest thing for me because like we'll do we'll do game nights and stuff because several of us live in this in the same town we teach together mm-hmm. we work together um, and i'll be like really into to playing board games and stuff and i'm not really thinking about it and i'm just you know how we're having mixed drinks and it's great and then i stand up and i realize <laughs> like oh um and then I i'm super self-conscious about all of my behaviors yeah <laughs> like am i too loud yeah. Probably. Am I being an asshole? Probably. (laughs) Did I just spill that on my shoe? I did. (laughs)
4: According to, I forget if Alicia Alicia or Samantha said it, but apparently according to one of them, I'm three feet tall. And so (laughs) if I have like a little bit of a drink, I get really drunk very easily. So that's part of the reason why I don't drink. I don't like the feeling.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's smart. All right. So um, we've talked a lot already, but we had a couple of specific questions that we wanted to ask. Ask away. I am all yours. All right. And we'll start with Alicia, because you have the first question, though.
3: I do. I'm ready. So when we were playing Revolution 60, we got this really 60s kind of old school sci-fi vibe, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
3: we were wondering what your major influences were when you guys were designing, when you were figuring out what direction you wanted to go, like games, art, films, um are just what what did you draw on?
2: Ah, uh, you know, my husband has like this encyclopedic uh knowledge of of the sixties uh for me i I really love the bond girls of that era, so um, it's just the fashion of that era in general, yeah. so um, I will very often. When thinking through character designs, just like pour through fashion books of that era. I just think it's I think it's deeply, deeply romantic. Uh, Frank designed a lot of the, the spaceships and, and that look of it. But, um, yeah, I was I was primarily concerned with the characters. Um, since this is a feminist podcast, I hope we'll have a minute to talk about the body types of Revolution <laughs> 60 and how we're changing that. But um, yeah, 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 we've got a yeah. question. <laughs> that actually. great, great. <laughs> Ah, uh, but no. Um, I just think it's it's a deeply romantic era. I mean, how can you not like the the sunglasses of that era or the hairstyles? It's just it's gorgeous. The, you the know? hair, man. The yeah.
0: Sweeping big. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I and, and that's interesting because uh, I'm sorry, Alicia. Go ahead. Um, you bring up the Bond girls, and, and that, that makes a whole lot of sense because um. Yeah, you know, like being like being a child of the well, not really the late sixties, but but of the early seventies. Kind of the I got the feel for it, and one of the things that I was constantly looking for was my Lieutenant Uhura.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And I was I
0: was and I was wondering, did you think about like Star Trek at all? Um, and I was because I was looking for that character of color more specifically. Um, and I know that you guys are redoing um and you know, and that's Alicia's question, so I won't take it yeah. um but um, so where's my horror <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, I blew it i you know there are like levels of feminist consciousness that I think people go through, and I think like I think you know, when I did this and I started in um you know. In twenty ten, with this, um, yeah, mm-hmm. guys, I didn't grow up with liberal parents. Like my parents were rabid, crazy conservatives. Like my dad is a right wing gynecologist, oh. so <laughs> so. You know, for me, um, you know, I've had my consciousness raised and, you know, I look forward to like what I'm going to believe five years from now as I'm figuring out this stuff more and more. Um, When I started this, I feel like I was at like level 101 feminist that, you know, I wanted women represented and I didn't understand the trouble with beauty culture. Um, You know, growing up in Mississippi, I've seen the horrors of racism But I had that white person thing where you just go, hey, I'm not a racist, and then you don't realize you have a responsibility to create racial diversity in your cast, and I blew it. So um, I would say going forward, look for us to make better decisions there. Um, What I believe today is not what I believe in 2010. I've been very consistent in admitting my failure on that. I just wanna say, to that a couple of things. First of all,
3: thank you. Yes. So seldom do we hear somebody say something so honest.
1: Right. So meaningful,
3: just as, you know what? It's really think about everything. Yeah. And those are the conversations that we need to be having because it is difficult. It's it's so hard to break out of our own experiences and, and keep expanding and keep growing and it's it's just really rare to have somebody say, I, was, I wasn't I was perfect, but well, none of us
2: are. It, it shouldn't be rare. Shouldn't. I mean, someone I admire is Steve Jobs, and that dude had a, a really good ability to look at what he'd done and to change his mind about it. And what I've noticed is the top creative people are constantly looking for that kind of input. And... You know, it's, it's, I, I can't pretend that every decision I make from now on is going to be perfect. Like even in this podcast, I used the word crazy a minute ago, which is ableist. And it's so hard to get that out of your vocabulary. It is. And, it is uh, yeah. It's, it's an ongoing thing. And, you know, like we're all trying to become better people or ideally, I guess some people are not trying to become better. Yeah, people. But, <laughs> you know. We try, uh, that's
3: one of the things that we try to really foster. I'm sorry. I just stepped on some of am Sure, sure. No, really go quick. ahead. Yeah, um, we we get people who will respond to us and the the pieces that we put up, you know, and people will tweet us. Oh, hey, maybe you should really consider this angle. And we really try to go back and engage that because, no, we're, we're always we always have to be growing and we we screw up and it's OK. But, you know, the fact that you had good intentions isn't always enough. You need to engage,
1: yeah, right. I
3: think, your your shortcomings and, and say, OK, let's try harder.
1: Well, yeah, you need to have a dialogue.
2: What I blew of Revolution sixties, it's not a problem to have a beautiful woman in a game. Um, you know, like I've actually seen I do a podcast Rocket with Christina Warren. Yeah. And yeah, she is gorgeous. And I see the way that sometimes she is not treated as seriously by some people. She had a washed up MTV VJ making fun of her as if she's an idiot sorority girl, like la la la, and only got her job because of her looks. And it's just completely not true. And I do think there's some discrimination against beautiful women, like it's on this other axis of, of competence. That said, what I now realize is Revolution 60 – Really. Oh, God, I I the moment I realized this stuff was important. I was a guest of honor at a convention and I am very tall and skinny. And I was sitting down with a lot of women that were not very tall and skinny and they were crying as they were talking to me about what it felt like to never see their body type represented in media. And I had that happen at GDC again this year. And what I didn't realize is that by normalizing this one thing, you're setting up these standards and you it doesn't matter if like your intention isn't to isn't to send these messages. It's what's coming across. And like body type diversity is a really, really important issue. I just had yeah. never thought about it. So, you know, you can have people that are conventionally attractive. It's just that if that's all you see, then that's a problem. So, right. you know, that's and, that's you know, how I
0: feel. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. And you're, 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 it's interesting. And, I, and people look at me like I'm crazy when I, when I, when I, when I talk about this, you're absolutely right. And I think that we're also, at, because, because we do pay such close attention to um, not wanting to hold to kind of the hegemonic patriarchal um, ideals of beauty is sometimes we go too far in the other direction. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, because, um. Uh, yes, I'm a black woman, but my child is not. Um, she's 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 gorgeous. I'm biased, but, yeah, she's gorgeous. Uh, but she's, even at six, very tall, very thin.
2: Got super, super Aryan. Long,
0: super <laughs> Aryan. Got super long blonde hair and blue eyes. Uh-huh. And going out to find her dolls that look like her has almost become impossible. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and I'm like, so I'll go to the toy store and I'm like, I need a doll. And they're like, well, we're out of that doll and the black doll. I'm like, no, really, I need the blonde haired blue eyed one that you don't have right. either. And they're like, I don't think we ever got any of those. Yeah. And so it's it's interesting to see the way that things shift. Um, and it's, it's interesting to pay close attention to those things as well. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Because, you know, those people still exist. Yep, Blonde haired and yep, yep. blue
2: eyed. Well, it's 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 a deeply complex issue. Um I would yep. I would say this, for the PC version, um, you know, I just want I have not talked about this to press before. I want you guys to understand just how much I'm putting my money where my mouth is. That we could have turned around and released Rev sixty for PC months ago. Mm-hmm. Like we could have done it a long time. We are taking so much time. Like we went through and we altered the body proportions. And for technical reasons, I can't like radically change the body type. But I did make the waist less ridiculous and the necks like thicker and, um, you know, the boob size smaller. Like we tried to bring it down a little bit. And, you know, we're going through and we're, we're altering Holiday's costume. So now your main protagonist isn't going to be wearing, like, this skin-tight outfit. She's going to be wearing, like, this badass futuristic armor as she's going through the game. And, yeah, this is a change that cost me personally, I would guess, probably about eight, nine, ten thousand dollars $10,000 to do. But, yeah, we're doing that. And it's taking us months off course because it's the right thing to do. And, you know, like, I think you're going to see that evolution with games my studio continues to put out. I hope so.
3: And, and that was actually what we were going to ask in the second question, is that yeah. I've, I've been watching some of what you've been putting up on social media um, yeah. at, as you're working on those changes for the PC version. And I think it looks great. Yeah,
2: I do too. Yeah. I really Thank
3: like you. the changes.
2: Thank you. Uh, you know, we're constrained by I'm, – I'm not going to get into 3D technical stuff, but one of the problems is I really wish we could change the joint structure. But if we did, we'd have to go through and alter every animation in the entire game, yeah. which is just a rabbit's hole that I can't go through. Yeah, I don't want to be George Lucas. Do you know what I mean? What What's sad <laughs> to me about George Lucas is he got so stuck on this one idea that he didn't go and make new things. And I think that's, that's really sad because the guy clearly has talent. So, um, yeah, I want to close this door and, you know, basically invest my energy in doing Rev 62. And, yeah, you know, from the very go, we're going to have a, a lot more diversity. And, you know, I think they're going to be very – I think people are going to be pleased with the character of Charbonneau. Uh, you know, she's a former uh, sex worker that has um, just really – not portraying someone as a as a victim, but portraying them as people, yeah. and it, it's um you know something that's very near and dear to our my heart is um you know there's so many things in video games that kind of glorify masculinity, but um, Asian men are treated like garbage in in media overall. Like, can you name a movie where an Asian man is the romantic person of interest? Like, it barely exists, right? Right. Like they're always the nerd, the punchline. Only, so, only
3: if they're also an action hero, and then right, right. there's something yeah, yes. that
2: prevents it, you know. Right. right.
3: Yeah. yeah. Right. right. So only uh, if it's wrapped up in something super masculine. Exactly.
2: So uh, in Revolution sixty two, we have Chase. Uh, he's an Asian American operative. He's not the computer geek. Like he's, um, you know, he's there, and he's a, he's just he is an Asian archetype that you're not going to see elsewhere. And, you know, that's something, obviously, being married to my husband, you know, he had a lot of say in. So, you know, we're going to continue to go in that direction. Just to talk to you guys openly, something I am worried about is, you know, Catherine Cross, uh, you know, my friend Catherine Cross has talked a lot about toxic activism. Mm -hmm. And I, I strongly agree with some of her criticism. And what I worry is going to happen that with me being, you know, a kind of, well-known feminist in the video game system that nothing I put out is ever going to satisfy everyone. And, you know, I don't want to go through this like creative constraint where, you know, I'm like checking off absolutely everyone. And what you're going to see us do is pick three or four battles that we think are worth fighting. And we're going to really represent those characters well. Revolution 62 will have a transgender character in it. Yeah, we will have a person of color in it. But – and you will see more body type diversity. But I worry that we're going to be held to the standard that no one could make. Does, does that make sense to you? Do you know where yeah. I'm coming from? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
3: You know, I don't think you, you – you don't want to run down a checklist and be like, okay, you know, now we have one of everything in the world. But you do want to create a world that is realist where? Yeah. And I think that's the best you can do. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I agree with that.
2: I'll—I'll I'll tell you this. I think it's unlikely there will ever be a white, straight, you know, cisgendered person in male in uh, Revolution sixty. I feel like they are represented well in other media, so I yeah. think our games will star other people. So <laughs> I
1: would—I
2: would, I would actually—I would love your feedback on this. This is something we're struggling with um, as a studio that we. Uh, the actress that plays Unknown in our game is African-American. And, um, you know, we were thinking about, you know, re-releasing the PC version and updating the iOS version with these changes. We were thinking about, you know, retroactively changing that character's race. And, you know, we've talked to people and had very, very mixed feedback on that subject. So I'd, I'd love to know what you what you all think about that. So
4: unknown is the, the red, the, she has the red hair. Yeah. Red hair. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I really loved her <laughs> and oh. I don't think her, her ethnicity would make me love her any less. Yeah. If anything, it might make me love her more. Yeah. Um, I thought she was a really interesting character and she had a lot of complex things going on. Um, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. That's for me. I, I don't think, um, it would change anything. I mean, the core of her character is still there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Anyone else?
3: Uh, I liked her, too, and I liked the voice actress, so. I did, too. Yeah. I I actually talked to some high school students yesterday, yesterday, um, and one of the questions that was asked was this idea of of what we should do about diversity in games, this very question. And um, in the conversation I had with them, uh, we were talking about the common argument being all that really matters is a good character. Right. We hear that all the time, especially from certain sectors.
2: Right. Right.
3: But my response back to that is if that's all that matters, then why not someone who's not white? Right. <laughs> so if she's going to be nominally the same, I say go with your gut. If you want to change your changer. If you don't, don't. It's up to you. I, I think as long as you are being thoughtful
2: that's what really matters. Yeah. Yeah. I almost want to uh, you know I I think I see this in the industry that people are so scared of making a mistake that they tend to go with the familiar. Um, and I I have to be honest, like as someone white, uh, that's working with the team of predominantly white people, there's a lot of fear. If we do this, we're going to mess it up, but I don't think you can let that stop you. And I think it's why as we're expanding staff for Rev 62, you know, we are going to be looking for more diversity in our team. You know, we will be running these ideas past different people. My gut is kind of like, Well, maybe we should get this game out the door and really knock, you know, Charbonneau out of the park for Rev Sixty Two. You know,
0: that that was, you know, what that was actually going to be my answer. Yeah. Um, because the characters as they stand, yes, they're 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 pretty much, you know, they're hegemonist. Yes. But that's okay for for what it is. I mean, and you recognize what the issue was. I mean, and to say, okay. There were you know, mistakes were made. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then to say, okay, so in Rev 62 we're going to have more diversity. I'm totally fine with that. I mean, and I would almost rather see it um, because I don't want to necessarily think or feel that race and ethnicity is something that is just, as you said earlier, more complex textures thrown on top of something right. old. Right.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, a really good. I I, I I've point. talked to friends of mine, and um, are you guys are Mass Effect fans, right? Yeah. So, oh yeah. So we have Brooks in the Citadel D- DLC, and this is really Mass Effect's lone African American character that that they added uh, to it. Well, it not lone, but you know she's an African American woman in this game, and. You know the way that they portrayed her, race doesn't really factor into anything she says or does. It's pretty much just a texture map. And in talking to friends of mine, like some people liked it. Some people didn't. and i I could say for me, what I like is when someone being a woman doesn't define their existence, but it informs it. Right, like maybe she doesn't wear like a pink bow and a dress, but she has a point of view that that yeah. life has given her, so mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, good. <laughs> we don't have any good answers. Yeah, no, we don't. <laughs> if this was well, an easy problem, it would, yeah,
0: <laughs> Ashley.
4: Um, sure, so I'll go next. So, um, my question is about Unreal Engine 4 and oh. how I. Yeah, I was wondering what you thought about it um becoming free to use. Like do you think it's gonna help a lot of independent developers out there?
2: Well, I think it's a um I, I think that it is a move that's in Unreal's best interest. And by the way, no one ever asked me technical questions, which is what I went into this field to do, so thank you for that.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> um, I, I do um,
4: know what she thinks about this. Uh, no, uh,
2: look, Unity is destroying Unreal let's just talk honestly. Unity is destroying Unreal. And the reason yeah. is they have academia, right? Like, um Yeah. You know, it, it's sad and it's stupid, but twenty dollars, you know, due to the economy is a lot of money for a lot of people to pay every single month. So I think it's ultimately a gamble um for for them to be able to get more of a base and you know basically have a, a more rich Segment of developers working in this market, so it's it's really smart uh, for me running a studio. I gotta be honest, twenty dollars a month is nothing in, in the, yeah. the grand cost of running a studio. So I mean, hey, I'm happy to have twenty more dollars to give people salaries with, but um, I think it's it's a bigger issue. Um, I think that Unreal has a really long track record of 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 winning and you know for us you know something i haven't really talked to the press enough or at least as much as i'd like is our long-term plans have a lot to do with vr Um, we are a company that cares about narrative and when you ask yourself what is the thing vr can do better than anything else it's narrative and immersion and we are going to go all in like we want to create the holodeck right um So, for us, the reason we bet on Unreal is their storytelling tools are drastically better than anyone else's by far. It doesn't even come close. So... Um, you know, and I know that whoever ends up winning in the VR race, like maybe it will be Oculus, maybe it will be someone else. I know Unreal will support that. So, you know, going free to use is great and it's certainly going to help a lot of indie developers work with this license. But, you know, the way I'm going is, you know, I want millions of dollars to develop with Unreal. So, you know, that's where we're going.
4: Do you think it will affect the narratives that we get in new games? Um, with so many up and coming, you know, up and comers uh, gaining access to such great
2: tech, I, I hope so. Um, I think the problem is Unreal is really expensive to work with. It's yeah. really, really expensive to work with. Like, look at Rev Sixty. What What is frustrating for me is how many people dinged us for our art style, not appreciating that it was five people basically that made a okay. game with full voice acting and all new animation. And you don't ever read any text and like the, the sheer magnitude of the game. And um, you know, the truth is all of these tools are very expensive to use. So I think that's when we get into a different talk about, Hey, who has access to capital in our society? Like Unreal's tools can make the best stories out there. That takes money. How are indie developers able to get money? And I think that ties into some very serious systematic biases in our field.
3: Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it's just one it's
3: just one piece of the puzzle. I mean, you still have to have access to um, devices on which you can run it. You have to have the training in it, which can be really difficult for people to get. Uh, to have access to the, you know, just, just having the, the system be free doesn't always solve the problem.
2: Well, I mean, it's nice, but the, the big problems for Unreal and everyone else using it are structural. Like, let me give you an example. Um, You know, I was, you know, I'm not trying to talk smack about Unreal, but I was at PAX Prime last year. And I go in and I go to the Unreal booth. And who is the indie team that they've chosen to promote there? Well, it's a team of, you know, white, cisgendered, straight dudes. They're sitting there making a game about Vikings. And then I'm (laughs) over there and I'm I'm trying to talk to them about Blueprint, which is this new technology. I'm having someone assume that I don't know anything is talking to me like I'm a child when, in fact, I'm a software engineer. And the problems here are structural. The problems are structural. It's not that anyone at that table was saying, gosh, chicks can't code, or, you know, I just don't want any black people here. It's that our system tends to go with what it feels comfortable with, and what it feels comfortable with are mirrors of each other. And, you know, like it just, it has horrible consequences for absolutely everyone else, you know? And then you try bringing up those biases, and it's just, it's a nightmare.
3: Oh, and then you're trying to censor everyone and you're, you're trying right, to games Right. And, look right, right. Yeah.
2: Look at what's happened to me, right, I mean, yeah. for speaking up. So, yeah.
0: Absolutely. Okay, well, I have another question. Is yeah. We have lots of girls and women uh, who listen um, and who want to make games themselves. Yep. So we wondered if you have any advice you could offer to women who want to break into game development on, on how to get started.
2: I I get this question all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't fall for the trap of going and spending, taking out $100,000 in student loans to learn this stuff. Education definitely has its place. And, you know, like if you're going to do that, there are programs for, you know, about 20 that you can get a really good value for. But, you know, my suggest to anyone out there is to just go make a game. Um, every single time you do this, um, you know, it's every time you invent a piece of software, you're embedding something that has never in, been invented before. So the skill that you're using to just go make your first game is the same skill you would use at a professional level. I'm completely self-taught. Now, granted, I've had ridiculous amounts of privilege getting here. But, um, you know, um, I've never had a programming class or 3D class or a cinematic scripting class. I just learned it all on my own. Um, You know, uh, people on my team have had more formal training. I think in particular, a CS degree has a lot of value for it. Um, But, you know, the truth is, these tools are easy to use. I'm not some super genius, you know, like what I have is like I'm very stubborn. And I kept my butt in my chair until I figured out how to do it. So, you know, if you want to make games, you can get out there and do it today. You can do it with Game Salad. You can do it with Unreal. You can do it with Unity. There are wonderful tutorials online. If you want to go to college for it, like that's that's also a decent place to start. But, um, you know, just get out there and do it. Uh, what you're going to have to develop if you're a person in this field and you're a woman is very thick skinned. And people are going to say no to you a lot. And you have to yeah. say, F it. I'm going to keep going. Um, you know, like people, I remember at my very first game event I went to, I got up on stage and said I was making a game that was Mass Effect and Heavy Rain. You know, I got laughed at for that. And you know what? I freaking shipped it. <laughs> and we won <laughs> Game of the Year awards. So F yeah. you, everyone that laughed. Yeah. At <laughs> Oh, one more thing on that question. It's really, really, God, this is going to sound so idealistic, but I think it's so imperative that women in this field stick together. So try to find women that you can trust, and I'm just going to – I'm going to give you pragmatic reality. You can't trust every woman in this field. There is a lot of backstabbing. There are a lot of older women that have a F-you-got-mine attitude, um, and they've kind of gotten to where they are by being the, the lone woman there. So um, you find people you can trust. And I think I think we have to be absolutely ruthless about supporting other women and promoting other women. Let me give you an example. Um, I was brought to New York um, a few weeks, uh, two days ago to go do a television interview. And they're bringing me down. And I'm like, listen. You've got to bring Maddie Myers down with you. Maddie is awesome. Please bring her down. And they did. And if I hadn't stood up for her and suggested her, then she wouldn't have had like this exposure. if you're in the habit of doing that constantly, like that's how we get equal representation in this field. And we've got to be just absolutely ruthless about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. Yeah.
0: It's
2: going to
4: sound so cheesy, but I trust these women right here <laughs> so much <laughs> because even just writing for a blog and having like a feminist perspective on things. I mean, we do get, you know, we do get some people that come in and don't like that. and, yeah. and still a lot of people still think of games as just solely entertainment and not like pieces of art. And, um, it's just, you know, it's hard. You need that support. You really do. Do
1: yeah. yeah. I think that that's, uh, true in academia also yeah it's yeah I'm uh, no i have a question you you kind of got at this a little earlier um but i wanted to know sort of what steps can indie developers take to promote their games so they get noticed uh so like you go on to steam and there's a you know a lot
2: <laughs> yeah well i think this is a, a hard question You know, and this is where I kind of need to check my own privilege. You know, I come from a family of millionaire entrepreneurs, so I've had ridiculous amounts of privilege in getting to where I am. But that said, with that privilege, what I see with indie developers are people that are more artistic in nature than business like in nature. Um, and that's the beauty of it, right? Like Depression Quest is not a game made by someone that wants to make money, right? Like mm-hmm. Zoe wanted to sit down and make some art that spoke to her experience. It's helped millions of people, and that is absolutely her strength and her truth, and she should stick with it. What I see from indie developers overall, though, is an unrealistic reading of the landscape, Um, Let me give you an example. I often will talk to people and they'll be like, oh, well, I know X, Y, and Z journalist. I met them once at a party and they'll promote my game and everything will be fine. Well, that's unrealistic and self-sabotaging. You have to create your own press. Um, You know, for me, like there's this misconception that Brianna Wu wasn't known before Gamergate, you know, I was a reasonably well-known person before Gamergate, like within this field. And, um, you know, from the very beginning, I wanted my studio to tell a story. Um, and that story was, look, this is women making games about women. That's a great story. It is the truth of what we're doing. and But it's also something you can tell journalists like, hey, doesn't this make something interesting? Like this is relevant to the industry, right? Most people just have this um, childish view that they're just going to make something wonderful and everyone's going to discover it. And yeah, you know, just mathematically, that's not true. So you know, the reality of what I end up doing is most of my job is political. I spend a lot of time working professional connections and working with press, um, you know, I I made a a long-term goal a few years ago to – I saw the people that got to be Mac celebrities. It was a really small group of white men, and I said to myself, I'm going to achieve that. That's a career goal I want, to be well-known on the Apple scene, and I went out there and accomplished it, and that gives me a really big platform these days to talk about – Everything from feminism to what my studio is doing. So I think you need to think very realistically about promoting yourself. And there there are all kinds of ways to do that. Like you can raise capital and um, I can hire – I can suggest some really great marketing companies to work with. You can decide to come become like a personality force of nature, which is kind of what I've chosen to do um, but the the best way is to make a game that has some component to it that's newsworthy. so you know that's that's my suggestion. Don't be idealistic don't let the the artistic don't let the same trait that makes your game beautiful and true sabotage your efforts to get people to know it.
0: Cool. wow i, mean, I feel like thing.
2: it's so quiet here i don't know no if I, no it was a really good answer it was it was really yeah. good answer
1: it was a really good answer <clears throat> the reason i asked the question is because i have the same question um often for my students in regards to um, independent publishing so i have some students that are interested in video games so that's why i was asking yeah. uh, my other question was uh you tweeted and you also got at this a little earlier but um You tweeted, it makes me sad how many people I meet who mistakenly believe they can't play video games.
2: Yep.
1: It's a failure of game design, not the player. So we have often thought this as well. Uh, (gasps) Mm
2: -hmm. Gets me so angry. Yeah, 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 me too.
1: So what are some of the more common ways, technically speaking, games fail in this sense, and how can developers improve?
2: Well, I, it's the playtesting problem, right? Like yeah, playtesting is such a vital problem. So if you don't bring in gamers of all skills, if you're just bringing in mirrors of each other, like this data just isn't going to make it to market. Um, I I I came across this this realization in kind of roundabout way that um, I am a hardcore gamer and I married a non-gamer, and you know my husband is an intelligent man. He has a PhD in bacterial genetics. Um, but you put him down in front of Super Mario World 1-1 and he just can barely finish it. So <laughs> It's very it, hard. I mean, well, it is but, hard, yeah. But no, it's not that it's hard. It's that there are a bunch of assumptions that you and I know the normal person doesn't yeah. know. Like how long you hold down B determines how high Mario jumps. Yes. And yeah. I think that what we've done is by... I. Hmm, I I think it's such a multifactorial problem that, I mean, the fact that controllers have grown to be these monstrosities with 16 buttons and dual joysticks, Mm -hmm. like this is not a good sign. And I'm very comfortable with that, but a lot of people aren't. I think that we need to get a lot more humble about, uh, about it's like people have pride in being a gamer in a way that's, causes us to make dis- decisions that are exclusive. Yeah. And um I think when you're talking about telling a story, I I just don't think you need to understand how to use a controller with 15 buttons to do that. So I I think it's playtesting. I think it's like going after a market and you know, I think that it's smart. I think it's from a business perspective. It's very smart to make games for a different audience. Like you were never going to compete with call of duty with, you know, $150 million for every single game that they ship. You are not going to like get that bro gamer audience. So go after a different audience. Right. And, you know, I'm very, my favorite comments I got from rev 60 are not from the hardcore gamers that talk about what it made them feel. Although I love those, my proudest moment actually came from a woman called Anna Tarkov, and yeah, you know, she told me, she said, you know, it's like games my whole life have told me have had a big you're not welcome sign outside of it, and this is the first game that didn't make me feel stupid, and I'm really proud of that. Like, that didn't happen serendipitously. That happened through a lot of playtesting.
4: I'd like to tell you something, Brianna. Yeah. Um So... When I – so Revolution 60 was the first game I ever played on my iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, I had never played any games on my iPhone. I just – I don't know why. I just think um, – I think the screen, just it being a small – I just have an old crappy – it's it's a curmudgeon of a phone. Oh, <laughs> it's sure. very mean. But um, I what I really liked about it was um, I see the game mechanics as being very welcoming to non-gamers. Like I could see my my mom who is not – a gamer at all, yeah. she could play this because it's just a simple tapping and, and moving around that way, and it's very easy. And like I would love it if my mom would play games with me, and like I I want to bridge that gap. And like I don't like um, you know this idea that a gamer being gamer is like an exclusive club that you need to you know have I like all the requirements or something, and and the skill set and everything. I just think gaming. Is so much more than that. And I would love to see, um, you know, people stepping in who weren't gamers before becoming gamers now or learning more about it um, instead of feeling intimidated and and put off. Um, That's what I, I always try to strive personally to make games a very inviting thing um, to other people.
2: But it's a failure of the industry, right? I mean, I do so many interviews with people that have this, Impression of games being this dark, unwelcoming place of people; that are very hostile, right. and sadly, that's a, a stereotype that exists for a reason. You know, okay. so I, I think we've got a lot of growth to do as an industry. It's yeah, you know, we were talking about my love of '60s culture a while ago. It's really interesting if you read a lot of the the books of of that era, or really of any era, you will see humans desperately dedicated to different kinds of games. Like it was bridge uh, right. in the sixties you got people that were right. really, really good at bridge. And that was like their, their, I guess that was their XBLA, you know, like local <laughs> multiplayer. So yeah, you know, like enjoying games is a human activity. Right. And it always yeah. has been. And I think the question for us as an industry is, you know, are we going to, are we going to make games for everyone else, or is it just going to be this this club for this very specific kind of person? And I, I'm bored with what the games are for that very specific kind of person. I think we can do more things. Right. Hell yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I thought it was really interesting how you talked earlier about your uh, playtesting with half women and the combat stuff. Yeah. Because, because I really um, – to be honest, at first when I played Revolution 60, in the beginning, I wasn't sure about the combat, but it, I mean, it really grew on me, and I really came yeah. to just like love it. <laughs> yeah, I
4: liked it too. It was one of my favorite parts
1: of that. And I think it was because it was just a little different. Thing.
2: Well, we, we wanted to design something that had never been done before. Um, yeah. I think for Revolution 62, you're going to like some of our ideas. Like There will be uh, three characters you can pick between. Uh though the easiest setting will just give you one character so you don't get overwhelmed and like Amelia will attack with um you know um portals. So you know she'll be attacking indirectly and you know there'll be these different we're gonna mix it up and make it more complex. So, you know, again, five people made this game. So oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great.
0: I'm excited to see what I'm excited to see what you guys come out I with. I know you oh, too. <laughs>
2: I have to say, like our studio will not do it for less than a million dollars, and the reason is I will not work my team that hard again it's not moral to work people that hard. Okay. I did it to get my foot in the door, but um, yeah, the way I feel is like standing up to gamergate i've I've had a lot of political capital now, you know like I'm much better known than I was last year, and you know it's had just a there's no money or success in the world that could justify what they 've done to me and my family. But, you know, I want to take this awful event and use it for some good. And this is really what drives me. Like, I often feel when I get attacked online, people don't understand what, what drives me psychologically. Um, You know, I I have had both ends of the spectrum. Like, I've grown up in a family of millions of dollars, and I've been homeless. I have been homeless and, like, to the point of considering sex work when I've been unable to eat. And I feel like I've, I've experienced a broad range of the human condition there. And even today, um, you know, money does not motivate me. What motivates me for building my studio is I see so many people that are not valued by game development. Yeah. Um, I have to tell you, like some of the best employees to bet on are moms. Like i I have to tell you, like it's it's so ridiculous in our field that women with children are just shown the door in a myriad of different ways, and it's yep. ridiculous yep. <laughs> It's ridiculous, and I
3: lost my first job writing about games. oh,
2: it's so unfair. and you know, like what drives me at my studio is I see those people that are not valued. And I want to create a place where they can have good jobs, that pay them good money, where they're respected as creative people, where we can go build stuff that's fun and profitable. Mm-hmm. And like that's, that's what I, I fight towards, you know, and there needs to be a studio that very specifically says, hey, we're going to go in a different direction and we're going to hire some different people for that. I, there, there needs to be a really not an indie studio, but like a multi-million dollar enterprise, because you can't aspire to something if it doesn't exist out there in the world for you, right? And how many girls are growing up right now and not seeing women CEOs out there in the marketplace? Right. How many people, yep. women, are growing up and not seeing art directors? How many people of color, like I don't have this lived experience. But I often wonder what it's like to be a black woman and to never see yourself as the protagonist ever. And yeah. it's 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 got to change. And we need a studio that gets that and values it and has the business sense to create profitable products off that. So, you know, that's where we're going. That's an answer.
0: <laughs> Ashley, you, you've got the uh, last big
2: question. Okay.
4: Okay. Um, so, uh, Revolution 60, it's a really ambitious mobile game. Um, and it makes me wonder, um, what's next for a giant space cat? Huh. <laughs> like, you know, with like unlimited resources, like what would you make? Um, what would your like passion project look like? And, I and know, thinking kind past,
3: of yeah. Thinking past though, Rev 62, cause we've already talked about that a little bit, like yeah.
2: in the future in the fullness. Yeah. Of- what is, what is my ultimate vision? Um, so, I want to figure out dialogue. I want to figure out dialogue. <laughs> something. No, no, no. Here, hear me out on this. So something that really bothers me. Oh, I want to. I want to engage with this. Go ahead. When <laughs> I was growing up, I would play games in the '80s on a PC, and um, I would pick one <laughs> of like three responses for a dialogue. And in the '80s, that is the best idea we had of how to emulate dialogue through gameplay and then today what's the best idea that we have well most of the time we still do that Mm -hmm. um but we have the dialogue wheel which is just Mm -hmm. a slightly upgraded version of that with like a little bit more branching so what really bothers me is you know i think i think that the monoculture of games has made us really focus on solving the engineering problem of recreating violence through gameplay. Yeah, I think we've really figured that out really well at this point. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's so many games that like if you want to shoot a gun or stab someone or punch them or kick them, like there's so many games that have really, really thought about that. What I want to figure out is dialogue. And I have a lot of ideas of how you do that. And I think that, you know, it's really notable to me when you're watching Star Trek and, you know, Captain Janeway goes onto the holodeck. She doesn't like open up a Borg shoot up simulator. She goes and talks to different people in different settings, right, and tries diplomacy with them and discovers mm-hmm. things about her own humanity through interacting with it. And, you know, that realization made me realize that we're really failing at solving the right problem in video games. So what I want to do is to figure out how you have conversations with people and feel agency and make choices in a way that just doesn't come down to pick three. So that's what I want to solve by the end of my career. I would love to talk about <laughs> this with you, further. <laughs> let me say something, my background, yeah.
3: before I came to, well, at, at Purdue, I got my MFA in creative writing, mm-hmm. um, but that's, that's my background is, is in creative writing, specifically fiction, and now I'm coming to game studies, and I'm shocked by how many studios don't have writers, and I, yeah. I'm writers in air quotes, yeah. you can't see, they have people who can <laughs> write, and people who have experience writing, writing games, but they don't have people who are trained to write like characters and dialogue and thinking about or how things come about organically as we develop people, right? Yeah. Um, and I, in so many studios, I, I find myself looking at the credits when I finish a game and just watching, waiting for the person or people who are credited as writers and writing teams, and, and a, a lot of credits they're missing. They don't right. exist. Yeah. Um, they pull somebody else from another department, and they're like, here, write this story or work on this or you know, figure it out. Uh, and I think that that's a real problem, and that's one of those things that does hold back games. Not only do you have people who are pushing the same tropes over and over in the same scenarios, the same responses, but you are really limited on those options
2: and how those things are explored. mm. Well, I think it's a deeper problem than just hiring writers. And I I do have to give you a little bit of pushback there and say I know a (laughs) lot of very talented people that specialize in game writing. So I I do think that's true. I agree. Absolutely. But I think the problem is the focus. So take any AAA title out there today. Bloodborne, what is the primary gameplay mechanic? Killing
0: yeah um
2: (laughs) final fantasy what is the primary gameplay mechanic killing um mass effect what is the primary gameplay mechanic well there's a big dialogue system and then there's this giant system for killing so (laughs) i i think that that's the core problem right like we're throwing all of our engineering resources and all of our our art direction and all this stuff at killing and violence and aggression and I love those games, but I think it makes sense to take a beat and go like, wow, what if we spent all that energy that we'd spend into making you run through all these meticulously designed levels, murdering thousands of things along the way, and <laughs> spent that figuring out a conversation Yeah. instead? Um, I, I I could say for me, that's, that's what I want to figure out. So
3: And and even when that does happen in games, like a game that we've been talking a lot about is Life is Strange. Yeah. Oh my oh, god. Yeah. Good. Yeah. It's so good, but but I'm 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 the resident hater, I'm sorry.
0: I'm always really? the naysayer. Really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's me. Uh I look at Life is Strange and I think, wow, this is really, really good, and there's so much happening, and there's problem-solving, and there's a larger mystery, and there are things that feed into that. And you can re- really design your own experience based on who you talk to and who you interact with and how. But at sometimes those very base conversations, um, there's not that many options. There are yeah. not that many choices that you can make. It's really not that deep. Yeah. When you when you look at it from an analytical perspective,
1: they never let me do what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, that's a question of resources, right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. it, because it's expensive to let you do a whole bunch of things. Okay. Um. So, yeah. 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 yeah.
3: I mean, it's, but these are not the people who are getting the, the millions and billions of dollars. And by God, I think they should be.
2: Um I, if you look at this particular studio, they released um, oh, what was the name? Remember me. Remember me. Remember me. Fantastic female protagonist in that game. I was very sad that game didn't do better. And then they kind of licked their wounds and came back with this much smaller game, um, yeah. you know, on a a very small budget. So yeah. I don't know. I don't they, know. Um, they're
3: killing it with what they have. They're killing yeah. it with
2: what they have. They need more. They need more. They do. I just kind of want to sign
3: my paychecks over to studios who are doing these kinds of things who are really working, just like you were talking about, working to, to look at what they've done in the past and say, okay, how can we do better? Which battles can we pick to fight? What can we do to change gameplay, to approach things differently? Uh, I just, I want to support that in any way I can.
2: I just want to go forward. It's 2015. <laughs> Let's figure out some new stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Absolutely. awesome. Well, I think that's our last question. So can I get back to Final Fantasy VI now? I- <laughs> uh,
3: only if you promise to continue critiquing it from a feminist perspective. I, I will
2: absolutely do that. I will absolutely do that. Thank you guys for having me on. It's so it's so nice to actually talk to other feminists that are gamers. It's rarer than you may know. So. Uh, yeah. so, Thanks
0: so much for joining us. Oh, it's
2: yeah. my pleasure. My professional like- pleasure
0: awesome thanks folks for joining us for the 100th episode of the Night your Mama's gamer podcast and thanks so much to brianna Wu for joining us and talking with us tonight about games and feminism and all the great plans that she has for her studio and for the games industry as a whole so until next time folks and for the next 100 episodes <laughs> stay warm stay dry and as always my friends Game on! Game on. Game on.
1: on.